This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Here on the Michigan Insider, live from the Ann Arbor Studios, the Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket online at WTK.com. Seth is still here. Seth was driving from Chicago and passing through, so we just stopped by the studio and he's <laughs> hanging out in Sam's seat, no pressure. It's a big seat to sit in, a lot of pressure over there, but uh, no pressure over here. It's yes. a very comfortable seat, that too. Uh, uh, Craig Ross is with us again, and now Brian Cook joins the conversation as well. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. All right, so let's continue on the hutch part of the conversation before we get to Michigan football as we are nine days away until the start of the Michigan football season. And uh, Seth, before, or excuse me, Craig, before you continue on with what you were talking about, just Brian, when you heard the news yesterday and just your reaction to Carol Hutchins retiring and Bonnie taking over, Bonnie Phil taking over as head coach. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I'm trying to write the season preview right now. So I- <laughs> you're, you're, that, you're that hyper focused. It was like when I texted Sam yesterday. I said, Sam, uh, it was like about a 30 minutes after it happened. And I go, Hutch retired. And it took about two hours. And the reply back was like, all caps. What? <laughs> so you're, you're in that. Uh, all right, Craig, pick up the part of the conversation where you were, were talking about, obviously, the situation here and jump right back in. Well, yeah. I mean, Seth mentioned before that he had some stylistic concerns, I think, perhaps about the direction that softball's going and that perhaps he was feeling we were being left in the past. And, and I mentioned this a bit in earlier in the year when uh, Michigan had played Duke and Duke is coached by Marissa Young, who was one of the best two or three pitchers to ever pitch at Michigan. And I felt like, wow, they are way ahead of us. And maybe they were just way ahead of us because they had better players, but it felt like they were way ahead of us because they were adjusting adjusting their defensive positionings in, in unusual ways. When, when we had a, when Michigan had a non-power hitter in, they'd bring four players into the infield. I mean, they were, they were doing things that seemed more new age to me with under Marissa Young. And, and, and it, it felt a little concerning, although maybe not. I mean, there, I, I don't think we've talked about Tracy Smith at all, but I, uh, his press conference was quite interesting. And I think Angelique asked him, uh, well, essentially, not in this ways, wh- whether he was closer to Billy Martin or Earl Weaver. And, and Earl Weaver wanted two walks and a home run. Billy want- Martin wanted to, you know, bunt and steal. And I was heart- heartened to hear Tracy Smith say that he was closer to Earl Weaver, a- as am I, and as is Bill James. And, but that, 
he said, look, you have to play to what your team is. And if, and, and it's hard to find power hitters, especially in college baseball. And if you don't have power hitters, well, maybe you got to, maybe you got to do something else to score runs. And so I, I think perhaps my frustration this past year was a little unreasonable because Michigan really didn't have power hitters. I mean, and, and so maybe you've, you've got to play the game a little bit differently based upon the talent that, that you have. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it's, it's impossible to criticize, you know, maybe the greatest coach in the history of the university. <laughs> and I trust, and I certainly trust her judgment about Bonnie, a person that I like very much. So anyway. Yeah. You winning as coach in school history, winning as coach in softball, his NCAA softball history and the accolades go on. I mean, she's the winning as coach in coach school in, history in, when I was yeah. in college in yeah. 2000, <laughs> she was the winning as coach in school history. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, impressive. So, all right, guys, that obviously is going to be uh it's a, it's a heart wrenching conversation for me a little bit. I was very, I get yesterday. it. I was very emotional yesterday when I first got it driving, getting that news when you're driving on the highway is not exactly ideal. And uh, needless to say, I was uh, jumped on the phone right after that. And so it was a little emotional, but we're, and we were trying to separate the two conversations because uh, you know, obviously the sadness of, you know, the, and the abruptness of Hutch retiring and, uh, but excited for Bonnie and uh, for rightfully getting that yeah, job. The softball program is going to be fine. I, it, you know, it's, uh, it, it will, we'll see how, how Bonnie does. And we'll see like how the portal changes things and whatnot. But I think the softball program is going to be fine. I think that Michigan still has the best softball program in the region. I think that they still recruit nationally. I still think that because there isn't a, a lot of avenues for a career in softball afterwards, that it comes down to the degree a lot of times more than, you know, where the money is and whatnot, like it does in other sports. So Michigan, like she, she built something here. And I am the, the, I mean, the greatest compliment you can say to a coach on their retirement is I'm not worried. Whatever, whatever she has planned, whatever she set up is so great that I'm not worried about what comes next. I think the next 15 years of Michigan softball are going to be just like the last 15 years. And, We'll maybe win a national championship in there because Carol Hutchins built this program into one of the premier programs in sports. And yeah, I agree. And she leaves the program in good shape. She has a good recruiting class coming in, a really good recruiting class coming in. Uh, she has good players remaining. Uh, so I'm not, you know, it's not like the program's going to fall off the ledge this year or anything close to it. And there's every reason to believe that Bonnie will continue it. Yeah. So. I, I just want to say really quickly, my point earlier about, you know, some questions about the, the program or whatnot, that was not, as I was saying like, Oh, I hope she retires. It was like, you know, I hope we're not getting into a, into the paternal zone. And like, if she's leaving right now, maybe that was the moment that she felt like that was going to start happening. You know, you do, uh, you know, other people, other people other than Craig Ross do slow down after 65. Uh, and I'm way, way beyond 65. You, you look so. at most coaches, and I use football coaches as an example, but most coaches, most of the elite coaches, you look at a coaching arc, right? And the back part of a coaching career does not look as good as, you know, and there's always a window of when did the, the arc start? Paterno had it. Bowden had it. Lloyd had it. There may be a spike late in it. Red had it. There might be a spike late, late in it because you have a great talent or whatever on your team, but you generally do. You're older. I'm kind of curious. Nick Saban just signed until 2030. Like, I'm kind of curious. Like, at some point, there's got to be a. a well, we're talking about him. humans. Okay, that's true. <laughs> Not cyborgs. All right. That's a good point. 
So excited about the future. <laughs> the alumni field will continue to be packed because it's still one of the great places to watch a sporting event here on campus. So guys, nine days away till Michigan football, but we're even closer to Big Ten football. You guys watching football on Saturday? Nebraska Northwestern, Wyoming, Illinois, two Big Ten games on TV. You guys watching? I mean, I, I'll probably watch those games, but I wouldn't call them football. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You're the one who was like all excited about Nebraska on the podcast. You're like, no, that was Alex. The Big Ten champion. You said it too. You said the no, Big Ten no. champion Nebraska because no. I was like, yeah, like no, that's, that's going to be a good I, ticket. And you're like, yeah, you'll see the big the champions of the West. I was joking about <laughs> Alex's enthusiasm. If you recall, I was the boring person to pick Wisconsin. Right, right. I don't know because yeah. I wasn't there for that one. I well, I'm ta- I'm gonna watch. You guys are gonna three. watch that game, aren't you? I'm gonna watch that game. I'll, I, I'll watch. It's been yeah. so long since Big Ten football. I'm gonna turn it on for interest. Plus, I mean, there there are two teams that we're gonna play, so we're gonna have to talk right. about them. So, right. Yeah, I. You know, it's it's a little weird to have football kind of coming this close into August. It used to be like after Labor Day, and I think what was it, 2007 was the first year that they started in Labor Day, and kind of. Just doesn't doesn't I don't know. The week I kind of like thing is is really weird because at some point in time the week zero games were only because teams were playing in Ireland or in Australia, so it gave them the week <laughs> to come back and reacclimate. And now there are like fourteen games on Saturday, and I think only one of them is overseas. Well, and the the the, the uh, it used to be the Pigskin Classic, right? Like when Michigan played Virginia in week zero, that was like a thing, and there was like no other games because it was right, like yeah. okay, we we're gonna allow one big game for the for opening weekend and. Now, now everyone that's just part of the season now. I love that. I was at that game, except we were on the opposite corner. Same end zone that Mercury scored a touchdown, but he was the other side. Yeah, we had no idea. Can, can, can I tell you something? <laughs> I was at that game. I was not there for Mercury's catch. My dad was like, let's go at, at the, in the third quarter. Oh, I was on had moments Street. like that in our house, and <laughs> I have never happened. let my dad live him down. I hope, you've never let, I hope that one never goes away. So before we actually get into Michigan, we got in a question, and it literally, go blue, uh, Z06, Scott said, discussion point for roundtable. This is from yesterday. He said, with this financial windfall for the conference, isn't it past time to hire full-time officials and hold them accountable to a standard and make the job worth it? How do we make this happen? I mean, that's not going to help. You don't think so? No. If if they're professional refs? I mean, who's going to be the professional refs? It's going to be the same people. Eh, Not necessarily. A lot of those guys, if you ever... You can't fix stupid, Seth. If you you ever look (laughs) at who those guys are... I mean, a lot of them are in jobs where, like, you know, they don't really have to. The, the ref money would not really do anything for them, even if they're making. I don't know. Okay, I, but they're I not. Think... They're not picking guys who are deliberately worse than like whoever the alternative would be. The the thought is that if you take them out of their day to day job and you make them full time referees, that they spend all week doing you know referee training things as opposed it, to lawyering or being a superintendent sure, of school district I think or whatever. The solution else they do. is it's it's good, but I think that it's a more long term solution. You're going to have more kids. people wanting to go into refereeing. I know a lot of people. I I refed not like you know started at a rec league and like then you start getting other job offers and stuff and you get slowly moved up and. There's a whole mentorship system where, like, you know, you're mentoring someone above you and and below you all the time, and you lose 90% of the refs and most of the good ones in the in that process too because people are like, well, there's no money in this. It's just like, do you really want this to be your life? Because as soon as your work is done on Friday, you're on a plane to go to Indiana to to do like, it's the it, it's it's a lot of work, and the people who do it are like doing it on their spare time, and 
finding the people who will do it on their spare time means you are working out of a very small pool of people and they are being trained by people who are above them. And then they try to reflect the things that they learn from their mentors, not from not things that the league is trying to, to focus on or whatever. They're, that's not who they're working for. Right. So if you just have like this line of guys and they all have a certain way of roughing games, it just gets repeated all the time. And a lot of the, bad refing that we see it's just because there's just a tiny pool of people they've all been trained by the same folk and if you did make it professional i don't think it would happen right away but over time you would have a lot of people my cousin's an example uh who want to go into roughing and would do it if it was a career and because it's not they go into something else and you lose all of that talent i yeah i agree i mean there's a way of dealing with this and i i've mentioned it before give a crew, I don't know, pick a number. Uh, you need seven crews, give them a million dollars a year. And then, and, and I don't think that's a necessarily big number in, in, in today's realities or markets. And then you give the chief of that crew, I don't know, whatever he wants out of the million. And then he, he, he hires the rest of his crew. And, but you Hawkeye, those guys, you Hawkeye them like, you know, every single call on the season you have a you're 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 evaluating what they do and they've got a lot to lose now they you know they've got a lot to lose and 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 it's more likely that you're going to see games called at a high level at a high level when people have something to lose and uh and so that's you know, you won't have the Michigan State game, for example, from last year. Ain't happening if if you've got people with with something with real monetary interest to lose. And so I I, I believe in that idea. I don't. It's a hard it's a hard job. Difficult judgments, but you want the best people making those judgments, and you want them to be in a situation where a they get paid, and b if they're doing a poor job, they're out. And we'll, we'll we'll bring someone else in who can who who. who I mean, you're you're not going to get perfect officiating. What you're trying to no, get no, it's is, impossible. Yeah. What you're trying to get is is games Competent? that are yeah. <laughs> is I there some reason that we're talking about this? Trust us, I don't I don't know. It was a, it was a question that was posed to yeah. us. So I told okay. the, I told the listener that tweeted the question at us that we would ask the question. No, I mean it's a thing that I've been on. Like I, I've been on about it before, but I just oh so God. it was an opportunity to explain what I mean by it. That if you professionalize the uh, the job you're going to get a higher quality of person doing it you lose most of the good refs because they never make it there and they're just they're trained by guys you know there was there was a guy who just hated lloyd carr he just he hated lloyd carr and he trained most of the refs in the big 10 and like i i don't know if that is related to like some of the calls that michigan got i don't there's no way to tell Michigan, uh, Major League Baseball got like super uppity when people wanted to start um, looking at their calls and like grading refer- grading their umpires on balls and strikes and stuff. And they were like, "No, you can't do that." And they were like, they were terrified that the fans would just go nuts at their their umpires. Actually, the opposite happened. As soon as that data became reported, and as soon as that was out there, and fans could look at a game in real time and see what was happening, it took so much of the edge off. Because instead of like, oh no, conspiracy, oh blah blah, fans learned that they were wrong about some of they were wrong about some of the calls that they thought they got right, and they learned how many calls close calls that the umpires got right, and they had more respect for the umpires because the data was right there in front of them. So it, it's that's another thing that like referees completely resist. There's no the fans never get to hear afterwards like how they did and like 
that's information that fans have wanted for a long time because it's it's not just the players on the field who are affecting these games. And if you are honest about it, then I think that you can I think the fans will appreciate it. They'll appreciate their umpires more their referees more. So real quick, we're gonna move on from this, but Craig, you said you want to hawkeye them. How come when I say when I hear you say you want to hawkeye them, I picture like Fran McCaffrey's red face, <laughs> or I think a really bland offense. And yeah. I don't know, like it just that's I immediately left the referee conversation, immediately went to these other things that my the picture to my head. Yeah, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about Fran McCaffrey, although I can understand why you would. <laughs> All right, so nine days till football, guys. We're inching closer, things are still pretty close to the best. Like we are kind of parsing comments and that kind of thing. So, as we're inching closer, I guess a good point to a good starting off point since we are nine. JJ McCarthy days away into starting start of the Michigan football season. Any thoughts in your uh, thoughts on the quarter? Any changes in your thoughts on what's going on at quarterback since the last week or the last couple of weeks? Things that we've heard, maybe things that we've seen. Start with you, Craig. Uh, I'm like Jon Snow on this. I know nothing. I mean, I, I assume... wait, 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 wait. Was wait. that a reference to a television show that happened within the last forty years? It was. <laughs> I'm going to save that. I'm going to I'm going to mark that in the, and we're going to yeah note that. The most recent <laughs> reference Craig Ross has ever made on this show. Yeah, the uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been at practices. I haven't been watching. I'm just hearing the rumors behind the news like everyone else. And, you know, my, my instincts are that Cade is less likely to make mistakes, and that worked really well last year, but that uh, I think the run game will probably be better with JJ because you add an extra dimension in, in, into the run game. Beyond that, I don't know. Uh, it, we'll just see. My guess is they're both going to play, and they're both going to play a lot in the first three games, and it, it'll it'll sort itself out. Well, this reminds me of the situation with Whistlehead and Grug Thump of the 1925 <laughs> Fort Wayne Barons. <laughs> <laughs> I saw them. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and of course, he was he was competing against Grover Cleveland for the starting uh, coal miner job, and you know you, everybody knows how that went. So that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, we do remember that. <laughs> Anyway, I, I don't know if I should do it. Who am I impersonating here? <laughs> you are in CMC, so what's your latest? Craig, did, Craig did me. <laughs> what? I, I, I'm not. I'm not doing impersonations. I, I. I don't think there's been any surprises in spring and in, in fall camp. I mean, there's like everything they've said so far has been like, okay, I think this is what they're gonna say, um, which means that like our our thoughts going into the season are probably pretty correct. Uh, you know pretty close and Kate's going to start and Blake Coram's awesome and Edwards is great and they're going to pass to him and they have lots of great receivers and come great tight ends and a great offensive line and no defensive ends except for Mike Morris and two linebackers and nobody after that and pretty good safeties and pretty good cornerbacks and best special teams in the country. I mean, there's like every nothing has changed of all the bits that we've gotten out of fall. This has been the one that has been the closest to what I just laid out as like the general consensus of what we thought the team was going to be coming out of spring. Well, I have two questions for you guys then. One is, is the noise about Peyton O'Leary complete nonsense? Yes. Okay. He's I mean, a wa- 
He's a wide receiver who uh, a, Ronnie a, Bell and yeah. and uh, and Sandra still have been talking up. Look, they're not going to be able to find enough targets for Andrew Anthony on this team. Yeah. So I mean, well, I, they put Mikey Sandra on defense to get him more targets. Right. Yeah. Like so. I mean, I believe on some level Peyton O'Leary is is making a rain in practice, but yeah. to the point where he's going to play. Ah, come on, man. Like, <laughs> I know. I mean, I've been going over everything, and the thing about Roman Wilson is that, yeah, he just runs by Georgia defensive backs, <laughs> and uh, so he, you got to got to get him targets. You got to get Cornelius Johnson targets. You got to get Ronnie Bell targets. You got to get Anthony targets. You got to get AJ Henning on the field. You got to get both tight ends targets. You got to get Donovan Edwards targets. Yeah, Donovan Edwards had. Uh, I, I just watched the Maryland game. He had ten catches in the Maryland game for 161 yards. So if you're and, and, if you're telling me that like a redshirt freshman walk on who basically went to Eton as a is going to come in and like suck up targets, it's not happening. Yeah. I'll be interested to see if we get some talk about him next year. But this mm-hmm. year, it's just I mean, like there's there's 40 guys on the team that these guys are around every single day during practice. And they want to talk about them at some point. You're not going to talk about Isaiah Gash in the middle of the season. You're not going to hear. You're not going to hear Steve from that guy. So this is we always get that. We always get like some. Here's some walk-ons who like did some impressive things. We want to you know get their names out there. So along the same vein, Seth, what about the strange five? Not strange, but the strange event of the five star showing up. Ayobi uh, Noma. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, do you have? I mean, perhaps you talked about this last week. I don't know, but I mean, I've been hearing that that he can actual actually play. I mean, is that? I, I mean, we we have to kind of have to go off the tape and the mm-hmm. tape that's out there. Uh, I've you know, last, since last week, I've been able to watch a couple more okay. of his games, but um, I do think he might have been injured. I think it was actually a hand injury that he had uh, late in the season last year. But it still doesn't explain why he like he only had one move, and he mm-hmm. didn't. I, I, you know, if there's incredible bursts off the line of scrimmage, you see it once in a while. It's look, it looks more like he times the snap well sometimes. And I, it, what it, what made him a five star is not that relevant now, except for like with his potential. So I almost think that that's a guy that they picked up and makes more sense for next year mm-hmm. because he got a red shirt. He got a COVID year, so he should have another year of eligibility next year. I don't think that he's going to walk into fall camp and in one week actually be the defensive end. If he is, then we have some major problems, <laughs> even worse than we thought at defensive end. You know, there's the the Taylor Upshaw line seems to be the line of competency at defensive end. Anytime you get good defensive end, you pass Taylor Upshaw. So, I, you know, if you hear that he's passed Taylor Upshaw, Maybe later this season they have him ready to be like a you know a late pass rusher or something. But I think that it's more likely anyone else that we've discussed at defensive end is going or outside linebacker, whatever they're calling it now, edge. Uh, I would guess any one of those guys will be on the field uh, before uh, Adobe Anuma uh, this season, unless it's what like did you a, call him <laughs> Iobi. Do I go uh, call them Adobe Anuma? He's not a uh, he's not a software. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in Adobe the last few weeks. All right, <laughs> I just put a book out. Uh, but yeah, sorry. He's 
he is he's not like in the plans that much this year. I, I can't imagine unless they like late in the season, they've got him trained up enough to do like some pass rush packages. It doesn't seem like a guy can go from where he was last year, just a middling player in the FCS to, you know, a major difference maker on a big 10 team. It's the way they described it, Craig, the way we've heard it and like the conversations we've had is that Anoma is, it's almost no risk at all, but you get a high reward if he hits that he comes in. And if all you do is help a young man that over the course of the last however many years has bounced around and has had some issues with discipline or whatever it might be, kind of like we talked about, I think we talked about it last week, the Jordan Whitley comparison, not in talent, but if all he does is come in and be Jordan Whitley means he never actually really plays it down. But Jordan Whitley left, came in here overweight, never was able to get in shape, and he left in shape and healthy and on to the next stage of his life. And that's the only thing that is accomplished with Anoma coming in. Then it's still accomplishing something. That's the low side of him just coming in and, you know, putting his life on, you know, getting his life on track and being around people he's comfortable with, like Biff in particular. But if he could be more, nothing, nothing says that he can't be a situational pass rusher at some point this season. And if he can do that and be a competent guy in that over the course of this year and next year, then you see some sort of an upside. Can he be down the road what Mike Dana was, who's now starting, at least part-time starter with the Kansas City Chiefs, and had his one year here? That's like the upside Sam talks about. We talk about the, the low side of being Jordan Whitley, but either side of that is good for the young man. How much of the imp uh, impact he has on the team, yeah, it's going to remain to be seen. He's the only guy on the roster that doesn't have a picture yet. I mean, he's so new to the roster. Yeah. Well, so, so that part makes it hard. Thing, the, the Mike Dana thing's probably not happening. Because when Mike Dana came in, he was a guy who was – uh, pro football focus all American and the Mac. And this is a guy who got a 72 rating, which is basically, you know, middling, but in playing in FCS. So Mike Dan is a guy you could come in and expect to contribute. And he did contribute despite the fact that Michigan was playing two great defensive ends. Mm -hmm. Now there's a real big opportunity for someone in that weak side end spot. The upside for Anoma is third down, come in, maybe get some edge rush this year. We think he might have another year, which makes this make more sense because you might be able to get him up and running and get something out of him next year. But yeah, I, I'm not expecting this to be a season changer. I, along the same lines in the same position, I, when I watched the Maryland tape last night, it, in the last quarter of that game, TJ Guy played and he was really, really good. Uh, at rushing the passer late in that game. I mean, and I haven't heard him, him mentioned once. He was a productive high school player, at, at least as a pass rusher. I mean, you guys have any thoughts about him? Is there any any noise or about him at all? I haven't seen it, if there is. I haven't seen any noise about TJ Guy either. And uh, I've been going over the UFRs, and mm -hmm. Seth didn't clip anything from... Yeah, there's... It's possible he might have packed it in at that point, which is... Something at the end of the Maryland game, I think I did. Uh, and I wasn't really going to consider pass rushes against Maryland. Maryland. Who's, run, yeah. who's been running out four guards. For they, got, they, got, they got a tackle now. Maybe not the tackle TJ guy was going up against, but they got one. They have a tackle. Was that Jalen Duncan? <laughs> I forget his name. Yeah. Yeah, they. I <laughs> Maryland was not pass protecting anybody. I, I'm not going to, but like TJ guy, the thing about him is he just kind of, shows up all the time i you know anytime that the program is doing something mm -hmm. off the field or whatever tj guy seems to be in the photo uh he's a he's someone who i think is in their plans for the future he's probably not going to be ready yet 
But like when I did the depth chart this year, I put him behind Jalen Harrell as the um as the the outside linebacker guy, right? Like when they go to a three four, uh, and you know this was a real position on the team last year. They when they uh, when Ojabo was off the field, it wasn't like Ojabo's backup came in. It was they go to a three four and they would have a hybrid linebacker defensive end out there who could play both. And I believe Guy was playing that in the spring game. We saw a couple of nice plays for him in the spring game that I charted not totally. I never really published it, but I did have him coming out pretty nice in that and doing both things. He was able to drop back in coverage. I think that there's a potential for him to pass Jalen Harrell this year, and that would be a positive development for him. I don't think he's big enough necessarily to be like your regular weak side defensive end. Because one of the things that Michigan, that I was talking about this at the Chicago Alumni Club last night, one of the ways that Michigan likes to defend is they put like three defensive tack, three defensive linemen on one side of the formation, one defensive lineman all alone on the other side of the formation, and like, like a giant flashing run here sign between there, right? And then as soon as that play starts, the guy who's on the edge finds whoever's on the kickout and just slams into him, whether it's a puller, he hits that guy, or if it's a you know a tackle trying to kick him out, he hits that guy and shoves him in. So there's no room on the other gap, and there's no uh, and he's got the edge protected. Uh, Ojabo got really good at that later in the season, and Hutchinson is probably the best we've ever had at that. Uh, they're going to need to get that this year, and they that's why they want those big dudes at edge. I don't know if Guy is big enough to do that yet. I don't know if. Um, even Jalen Harrell is, uh, is good at that yet because he kind of bounced off of dudes when he tried last year. But if they want to play that way, that's kind of why they need a, a guy with bigger size. I'm kind of hoping Derek Moore comes in a little bit this year and that the hype for him can kind of build. Another guy that, like, true freshman, you're not going to get much out of him. But I would expect him over a lot of these names right now just because he seems like he came in ready to play and he's big. The rumblings, you know, you hear little rumblings and names popping up. I'm trying to remember where I heard T- Sam mention TG guy at some point in time, but the Derek Moore thing, like there are some, there's a little bit of buzz building about him. And again, yeah, they're freshmen. So what does the buzz really mean? You kind of have to all take it and just wait till the season actually begins to see. Cause yeah, freshman hype doesn't always live to the one, the, it, but. the one thing I can say about guy from watching the Maryland tape was on the two times he got to uh Tagliavoa, he, he was double teamed both times. And and he and he's not that big a guy, but he beat the double team twice. Now, yeah, Maryland. It might have been the backup Maryland offensive line, and the and the let's face it, the first team uh, line wasn't wasn't very good. But the you know, but it was impressive to watch him just beat up two guys uh, and get to the quarterback when you know when he came in. So I, I was just curious, and I know that his. I you got to think... stop talking about guys when talking about TJ Guy. Okay. <laughs> they could be fellas or dudes or whatever. Well, but... we could call him Guy, like, you know, Guy Lafleur uh, yeah. or something. But the. Uh, uh, but in any event, I, I, I don't know. But, I, but it, it was something I did miss last year. And when I watched the Maryland game last night, I, I noticed it. I said, who is this guy? And so is Edge Rush is this Guy? Is that your biggest concern for the team going into the season then, Brian? Would it be the edge? Because those two guys obviously so highly – I mean, they were, the defense lost a lot, right? So is that – or is it somewhere else in the defense that would be your biggest concern going into the year? Well, I think Mike Morris is going to be a player. We saw enough from him last year, especially in the context of having these two like outstanding defensive ends. I think he's going to be good. I mean, my main concern is is depth in the front seven. 
Like you have the two starting linebackers and then you've got, I have no idea past them. Right. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. and then, then weak side end, it's just like, there's a bunch of, there's a pile of bodies and it doesn't really seem like any of them seem like good bets to hit. And you, you're moving Welsh off there. People are talking about a true freshman. It's just a situation where it looks like that's going to be replacement level at best. Yeah, I mean, the, they're going to change how they, how, you know, last year they would have the defensive tackles kind of hang out at the line of scrimmage and then just like, okay, Ojabo and Hudson, you go get the quarterback, right? And there was only so much time that anyone was going to stop those guys, no matter how many people you had blocking on them. Um, I think that the it's going to flip this year. I think that they're going to probably ask their pass rush, the defensive tackles to get more pass rush themselves and then use the ends as more of a contain. And that's how the Ravens have been doing it. So mm-hmm. it's not like something that they haven't seen from this staff. The staff is not familiar with. In fact, they think they would be more comfortable doing it that way. So, I mean, the question can Mozzie Smith step up? Can Chris Jenkins step up? But every guy behind them, except for the transfer from UCF, is a freshman. So even at defensive line, where it looks, um, you know, defensive tackle looks a lot stronger than some of the other positions. Like you're worried about losing a guy because then you're immediately into like redshirt freshman Rayshon Benny or something, guys we haven't seen. And then if you lose a linebacker, like Brian said, it could be like Kalo Mullings or or you know Michael Barrett. Like your your options once you're past the starters and a lot of these spots. If you lose Michael Morris, you're in, you're going back into that end thing. So I'm actually more concerned about depth, like Brian is, because they have a plan at this point for what they're going to do about defensive end. They know they're going to get drop off. They know they're not going to get the same thing. But it is, they've known about this for months now, and they have a plan. I don't think that they have a really good answer if they lose a guy. And the depth. Yeah, and, and it's hard to plan for that because, like, which guy did you lose and for, you know, for what part of the season, right? Yeah, so you were, you've gone back and watched a ton of the film. So a year ago when you were watching the Ravens defense before McDonald came in, that year when Matt Judon was his last year in Baltimore, he led the team with, like, four sacks or something. Uh-huh. Right? It wasn't that – it goes It's to your point, which is – But Judon's a pass rusher. No, right, I mean, they, exactly. they do have but that's NFL the point. pass rushers that's on that But team. that's the yeah. point is that they, they asked him to set the edge. Yeah. I remember when Jarrett Johnson was a linebacker there, and I, Greg Madison and I used to talk about this all the time, and he's like, that guy will never put up big stats, but he is the best edge setter we ever had. Right, he was just set, and sometimes you want your linebackers to do that, and if the, or the edge guys to do that, and if the edge guys can do that for this team, maybe the stats aren't as gaudy. Well, the stats will not be as gaudy as they were last year. I think that just goes without saying. But there's another way to make it look. Is your point? There's another way to do it, and another way to make it look that they are comfortable with coaching. the 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 best case scenario is just like after we lost the last uh, Hutchinson. Not not the guard, the you know, when, when Chris Hutchinson graduated, he was an all-American. He was a great pass rusher from they called it tackle back then, but it was, you know, it was basically end. And uh when he left, Michigan was like, We don't have another rusher like uh, on that on that level. And so they used Glenn Steele, who's a very similar player. Anyone who still remembers that guy, very similar player to Mike Morris or Chris Wormley. And Michigan started using that system up until oh my god, I'm blanking on his name, Hall. James Hall, uh, James Hall on, on, who came around, and he was a f- true freshman, and they started using him as an edge rusher because they didn't really have anybody else on that side. Everyone else was kind of like pedestrian uh, for that position, and they went through a whole bunch of them before they got to James Hall. But once they did, then they had that system, and they really started to use like Renus to go uh, to go up the middle, and they used a lot more. Um, you got more pass rush out of their tackles, and that's where the pressure would come from. 
and pressure from defensive tackles doesn't necessarily lead to sacks, but it does lead to bad passes. And if you've got good coverage out there and they have a lot of athletes now in the secondary, they're not, you know, last year I thought they were kind of protecting Vincent Gray and this year, I don't think you have to do that with, uh, you know, if, if, if Jermon Green needs help, Will Johnson's going to come and replace him, right? Like it's, it, they have better options this year than just sitting back in zone and trying and making sure no one gets out of their position. Is this where you profess your love for DJ Turner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we only got half a season to him last year. You get him for a whole season. And I, that they, that part of the Ravens defense that we never got to see, because they tried only a couple of times and they just did not have the horses to run man defense is they, they do run a lot of man. Like, you know, can you get away with cover zero? I, you know, against some a lot of the teams we face, they can. I wouldn't do it against Jackson Smith uh, and the Jigba, but you know, you can you can run it against some of these teams. You can run a lot more cover one, and like I I was joking on the podcast, like we should go back to the Don Brown defense because they've got all the the guys for it. But you know, they they can run a lot more coverages than they were running last year, just because if they get caught in it, if CJ Stroud sees exactly what they're running and runs a little hitch. Uh, under a cornerback like that's that cornerback has a good chance of breaking it up and if we, we have more pressure coming from the middle and this is gonna you know we need Mozzie Smith to do more than he did last year we need Chris Jenkins to be more than we got out of Hinton last year but if we can get that that actually gets you back right into where you were and like you can have that level of effectiveness that you had with Hutchinson Ojabo it's just it's not coming from the same spot anymore so this is where the schedule kind of plays into your what you guys are talking about, where if your biggest concern is depth, you have three non-conference games where you can play all these backups like a half or more if you need to. And then maybe even into the Maryland game, you have, although Maryland would be more talented offensively than the first three teams, that you can actually maybe try to build some of this depth. I know you're going to get a ton of confidence uh, as fans uh, in what they're doing because they're not going against great teams, but even Iowa is not a great offense. But I mean, who's, can who's you use these games team? for, uh, can you, is that how you would use the games? Get your starters the reps early and then get as many guys reps as possible for three or four I mean, weeks. They look at their schedule. They might not face a run until th- the week three against Connecticut. Like, <laughs> there's two <laughs> air raid teams coming here under new coaches and all, and there's nothing, there's nothing for them to win. Right. But like there's th- those two teams are just going to throw the ball all, all game and they're not going to wait for your pass rush to get there. So, I mean, if you can dent the line with Mozzie Smith a bit like, yay, but I, I mean, that's, those challenge. games are mostly going to be, you know, that SMU game where it's like, okay, Please just don't call a gazillion pass interferences on our guys because they're going to be all over them. All right, guys. Go ahead, Craig. No, I was going to say, yeah, I agree. And in some sense, it feels like the non-conference slate is a good one for Michigan to try and develop depth. On the other hand, those teams may not look anything at all like what Michigan sees in, in the Big Ten. Uh, it's not like playing Army. It's the opposite of playing Army. Um so I don't know. We'll, we'll see how, how this goes. How much are we going to see in the run game? I wanna, uh, and, yeah, I'm and, curious if you guys think of this comment. We were slower in past years on the back end. Now we have speed. This one came in from D original. Do you guys? I mean, he's talking about Brad Hawkins, <laughs> who, you know, by, by the time he was done, he was in a wheelchair. It was, uh, but it's like RJ Moten is a real athlete and, you know, we've underrated him because he's been kind of the, the center field dude. And and Rod Moore, he is you know he's good. Like, like there, you don't play as a true freshman, and like they were expecting him to be the nickel, I think. And you know they they need another safety to come through. But 
I, I think they're, I think that's true. I think they have a lot more talent this year than they've had in past years. I think, you know, Hawkins was a good player, but he was not a fast player. And you did not want to leave that guy in single coverage. Um, and you didn't want to do crazy things with Vincent Gray either. He was, you know, and Jamon Green, you can only trust him so much. Like, you know, when the ball arrives, he'd start, he starts to flip out a little bit. And he was not great in zone because they, he, that transition kind of came a little slowly for him. But he's been always been a good man uh, coverage guy. He's always with his guy. DJ Turner's great at that. And I mean, you just got a lot of speed. I think that's very true. Uh, Dax Hill is the obvious guy you have to replace, but they're not going to replace Dax Hill with like another Dax Hill. They're going to use Sainer still, who's got speed, or they're going to you know find another guy. Maybe Zeke Berry will come along during the season. Like they have talent that they can use back there. A collection, a group to replace Dax Hill. A collective more athletic, because singularly Dax is super athletic. All right, guys, before we wrap up, uh, we got this question in from Glenn. He asked if we're going to discuss the new NIL collective. So I'm curious your thoughts. And we also wanted to give an update because we haven't given one uh, yet this morning. They uh, launched it a couple of days ago, the Ann Arbor NIL Club. It's the players launching their own NIL organization. And they're almost at $26,000 of their $50,000 monthly goal. I know part of the comments people are having is that there's an 18% cut off the top for the organization that's running the NIL collective. But all the additional money does go to the players, and they're going to get all of it, and they're hoping to get $50,000-plus a month. And it seems like a really cool idea. Fans want to know how do you get involved, and you can get involved for as little as 5 bucks a month, and that's a way fans can get involved. What were your thoughts when you saw that the NIL the Ann Arbor NIL Club, was that the players were starting to tease it out on, was it on Monday they were teasing it, and then it launched on Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I heard Mike Spath say that 18% was too high. Uh, on on the on the cutout, but I'm not so sure that's true. It depends what what the collective is doing for their 18. percent Are they are they sending out K ones to everybody? Are they withholding taxes and sending money to the federal government? Are they providing tax advice? I mean, I don't know exact. You know, so I, I'm not sure Mike is right about that. Beyond that, I don't have any coherent thoughts. I you know I don't know. I guess play if. It's smart, I think, of players for try to in in the attempt to try and organize their own collective. Uh, if I was a player, I'd probably be organizing the same thing. Well, Craig, you were there with Jawan. This is a football thing, but you were there with Jawan before they left town, and he said, "Do we have a collective? No. Do others? Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people at Michigan have frowned upon a collective, but if the players want to have one, players yeah. can have one. Yeah, I mean, Jawan in his press conference uh, seemed to imply that there was frustration among coaches uh, and there had been meetings in the athletic department with coaches uh, about the lack of NIL initiative within the athletic department. Uh, but I'm not sure what I can make of that. It was sort of a sideways comment, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to do it if you're going to compete. It looks like. I don't know if any solution that we're, starting right now is going to be the official solution or it's going to be what what it ends up looking like i think that in general michigan was not uh it, whatever was going on at michigan it was not sanctioned by the program it was not with participation of so many people who are going to be involved in the nil system now and i think in other places they were more organized when this started because they had systems in place already to pool money together and get it out to players and all they had to do was you know figure out who they're going to pretend the the players are are, are getting paid by uh, so the i mean the they're 
they're going to do this. They're going to do that. We're going to have lots of different systems. I know other people have kind of tried to come up with various methods for doing it. And everyone's method is going to have a certain percent they want to take off the top because they want to make money off of their idea. Uh, I hope that ultimately, after we've had a couple of years of this, people will look and say, Michigan fans are just so bloody rich that they just funded everything. And being a Michigan player makes you so much money that you don't even have to listen to the the buzz of all the promises out there because if you come here, you're going to be taken care of and you're going to be fine. I, you know, all the little pieces of it, it's just, it's too complicated and too much of a mess right now to like look at any one new thing and see like, Oh, that's it. That's going to solve the problem. Right. I, I think that you have to let these things grow and let let people find their market, and then eventually it will level out and we'll we'll be fine. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I'm skeptical that if School A is saying is in a pay for play game for their for their major star for major kids out there perceived as major kids, that Michigan will ever get into in into that game. And I'm not sure that NIL monies will um, resolve or allow Michigan to compete with pay-for-play monies. And, and so I'm uncertain. Well, here's uh, your options. You either get in the game or you become what Michigan was in the 50s and the 60s yeah, when the everyone 50s. else was in that game and we weren't. Right. No, like I understand wanna, that. If you, if you want to fall behind on talent, then you can you know, play by different rules than everybody else. But, you know, they're, I, it's a transition. Transitions don't happen immediately. I, I'm not going to, like, thrash coaches who've been getting really good at coaching their sport and now have to deal with this new thing, right, for not, you know, suddenly knowing exactly how everything's supposed to run. It's, it's going to take time because we've not been operating openly in this system the way that other places have. And, you know, it's... It, they're not they're not going to let them fall behind. Michigan cares too much and Michigan fans care too much and like like you said like the players they form their own collective because people are mad there isn't a collective. You know, it the market is not going to bear Michigan's need to like live in the past and and hope everything just fixes itself. People the they're going to try new things. Some of them are going to take, some of them are not and it's probably going to coalesce like any other market. Guys, the best part about the conversation we just had is that next week we're not going to have these conversations because next week we'll be two days away from the start of the Michigan football season. It'll be a full, I don't know, it's a full breakdown of the matchup with uh, <laughs> with Colorado State because I'm not sure we have to dig too deeply on the Rams. But we'll definitely be in game preview mode next week. We're in game week in the Big Ten, so I know you guys will be watching. You mentioned the game from Dublin a little bit and the other game from uh, from Champaign when Wyoming plays Illinois. Football's football. I gotta watch. Real actual games that count. So looking forward to that. Guys, appreciate you joining me here as always for the roundtable on Thursdays. Sam will be back in the air chair tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow as well here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 W.